Here's what I'd like you to do. Turn to the book of Corinthians. The first Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. We're talking about the Bible. The, The reality is nothing has inspired more good works in the world than the scriptures. Nothing has inspired more art. Nothing has inspired more poems, more paintings, more drawings, more books being written than the Bible. It is literally the greatest piece of inspiration for other pieces of work and art and all the different things that exist in the world. But just because it's inspirational and just because, uh, you know, we can slap some scriptures on a mug doesn't mean that we actually believe it. And it doesn't mean that we actually trust it. The truth of the matter is, I believe there are a lot of people who attend church but really have a hard time trusting what the Bible has to say. Can I really trust it? Can I really trust that this is God's word for me? Now, last week, we spent a lot of time, and we, got, we kind of put on our, our, our thinking hats. You, you heard data points last week. You heard about translation accuracy. You heard about a little, little bit of archaeology. You heard, you heard some fun things, a different kind of message. But at the end of it, my hope is, while it was a, 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 some bullet points, my hope is that you walked away encouraged that the Bible you're reading today is literally the Bible that was written 2,000 years ago. It's not this, you know, no one took the Bible, ran into the corner of the room, you know, in the Wizard of Oz kind of thing and closed the curtains and edited it. It is 99.5% textually pure. It is the greatest piece of ancient writing in terms of its translation accuracy that exists. It's indisputable. Come at me if you want. Okay. Bible's pretty incredible. But just because it's translated accurately doesn't mean that you actually believe what's in it. It doesn't mean that your faith has somehow been engaged and you've put that faith in Jesus. Which is why so many university professors can be teachers of the Bible and yet not believe what it says. So turn to 1 Corinthians 15. What I am not planning to do is to try and convince you. I I cannot convince you that the Bible is real. I can make a case for why we can trust the scriptures and why, why Jesus rose from the dead. And if you are on the fence on some things personally... Or you know some people, that's why the God's Not event, God's Not Dead event is so important for you to be at literally tomorrow night. Because you're going to get an incredibly scientific and logical explanation for why you can believe in the resurrection. I'm not going to get into that today. I'm going to leave that to Pastor Rice, the author of the book. I figured I'd give him that one, you know. I mean, he wrote it. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 6. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. 
If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. This right here is the gospel. When you hear that word gospel and it feels like a churchy word, it is. We don't use it anywhere else, but this is what it is. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus that he died for your sins, and then he rose again on the third day. He, uh, God offered his own son as a substitutionary sacrifice for your sin and my sin, and he took upon us the eternal punishment that we, that we incurred, that was due us. Now, you may have heard this before. Chances are you have. Just because you've heard it doesn't mean that it's done anything inside of you. When we look at the Bible, the central message at hand is that Jesus saves. It's that Jesus transforms your life. It's that Jesus changes everything. The Bible promises this truth to be transformative for all and any who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is a bold claim, is it not? This is what Jesus says. This is what the, the scriptures of thousands of years old have foretold. That there would be a Savior who comes and when that Savior comes, He would literally change everything. He would transform you. Look what the Bible says. Jesus is, is speaking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, there's a Pharisee, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with them. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus is saying that there's got to be, something's got to happen to you. There's got to be a change that takes place in, inside of you. Not just one where you're making changes yourself out of your own self-effort. There has to be a miracle that takes place in your heart. And we call that being born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. John 3.16, the most famous and quoted verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
Some of your translations say everlasting life. All of these things are speaking to a, a, a miraculous transformation that is taking place on the inside of you. This is what the Bible has foretold from the beginning. This is what Jesus died for on the cross. It's what he rose again on the third day to declare. That salvation alone is in Jesus. Jesus Christ has the ability to give you new life. And when you put your faith in him, the Bible says that there is a death that happens. The old Andy dies and a new Andy is born. You are born again. There is a new life, a transformation, a shift, a miracle. And this is the heart of the gospel. The Bible makes a bold promise. Faith in Jesus will transform you. I receive an email just about every week right now. If you know me, I enjoy, you know, reading about different things. I, I like the stock market. I like knowing what's happening. And I get an email from, you know, an investment group once a week recommending stocks to buy. Now, I haven't bought any. Spare with me if you're like, wow, Andy's really, he's really on it. He's really sophisticated. He's got his, he's got his portfolio going on. No, I don't. But bear with me here because... I'm not far from it. But I have, there's a group that sends me emails and they're trying to get me to invest with their, you know, their mutual fund group. And the way that they're trying to get me to invest is they're showing me socks that they have predicted doing well. And I'm not going to lie, they do a pretty good job. When they, say, when they send you an email and they say, hey, in this year we predicted that Amazon was going to become the biggest stock. And those who invested with us gained 18,000% on their, on their stock. That's impressive. When you send another email and you say, hey, we predicted that Netflix was going to become what it became. And people who invested with us are now completely rich. It gets your attention. Oh, by the way, uh, we predicted Tesla. We predicted Amazon. We predicted Netflix. We predicted all of these different companies. We've got a pretty good track record. We think you should invest with us. Now, hear me. If I had gotten one email, it's not that big a deal, right? But I keep getting multiple emails, and they keep showing where, where they've, they've, they've consistently delivered on what they said they were going to do. And what does that do when you consistently get what something says it's going to do it builds trust doesn't it your track record is impressive here 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 you know what i think i i think i can actually trust you and when it comes to the bible the bible declares from beginning to end it's a story of god's miraculous power working in the lives of people it's not a story about people. It's a story about God's glory and his glory being revealed. But understand, as he reveals that glory, he is showing us consistently, time after time after time after time again, that he is a God that we can trust and he is a God that will transform you and change you and make you new. 
Abraham was a man who believed God. In Galatians it says that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he went from being someone who could be a father to no children to miraculously becoming the father of many nations, the Bible says. God did a miracle. And even at an old age, he believed God. I forget exactly how old he was. Roughly 100 years old. Had their first child. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers and is transformed over the course of many years from slave to ruler. Helping to save his people from famine. Moses the murderer becomes Moses the deliverer. Gideon the fearful becomes Gideon the mighty. David the shepherd boy becomes David the giant killing king. The pattern is the same. God changes when he gets a hold of your heart and you trust him. There is a transformation that takes place. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's the Old Testament, Pastor Andy. I mean, don't you have anything that's a little more current? I mean, come on. That's like 4,000 years old. All right, let's move to the New Testament. Zacchaeus, the dishonest tax collector, becomes Zacchaeus, the generous benefactor. Peter, the rough-and-tumble fisherman, becomes Peter, the courageous fisher of men. Paul, the self-righteous Pharisee, becomes Paul, the apostle and teacher of Gentiles. I mean, come on. God is in the business of revealing His glory, and He does it through the transformation of people. What else can change a person's heart? God. And we talk about the miracles We want to see miracles. We want to pray and we want to see the miraculous move of God. That person couldn't walk and now they can. Oh my gosh, God is amazing. He's glorious. Everyone worship Him. Now hear me, we should pray for that and we should expect that. But we've we've gotten caught in this trap that somehow the changing of the human heart is less of a miracle than someone who can't walk being made to walk. And I have big news for you today. When God changes you and makes you new and the old person dies and the new person comes to life, it is the greatest miracle the world will ever witness. It's the greatest miracle. What else can change you on the inside? But the Holy Spirit. When you read about these apostles and these disciples in the New Testament, you're going to get into some of this tomorrow night. You know what's amazing is you know, there, there's, there's a lot of lies that get perpetuated about the Bible and whether you can trust it, about whether it's factual, about, you know, the, pick one of the lies that you want to, okay? But what's interesting is that these men that were with Jesus, nearly all of them met the same fate. 
And you have to ask yourself why they would do that. I mean, back up for just a second. The Bible is promising from cover to cover that a relationship with God will change you and make you new and transform you. It uses different words like salvation and save you, life, eternal life. But if this was a hoax and this was a lie, at some point, these men that were walking with Jesus, who we know was a true historical figure, we know this. This is not disputable. Jesus was a true man. We know he was nailed to a cross. We know when. Roughly it happened. We have writings. We have documentation of it outside biblical sources. And if you were a follower of Jesus and you stole the body and you, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to you know, create this elaborate hoax, at some point you would say, this is all a lie. I was just kidding. Because you have no benefit to perpetuate a lie that is going to end up having you killed. You have no gain in this. There's nothing to your benefit to make yourself an enemy of the Roman Empire. To make yourself an enemy to the Pharisees. To put yourself in positions where you're losing your business. Where you're losing your home. Where you're unable to get literally loans and financial contracts because you are a follower of Jesus. There's no gain to you. Instead, you're putting yourself in a situation where you're having to hide, where you're having to be careful, you're in danger of being stoned, you're in danger of being hung and martyred, you're in danger of being nailed to a cross. This is what happened to the disciples. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia, killed by the sword. James, the brother of Jesus, was beaten to death with a club. Nathaniel, missionary to Armenia, was flayed to death with a whip. Andrew was crucified in an X-shaped cross in Greece. Thomas was stabbed to death with a sword in India during a missionary journey there. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Paul, as the stories are told, was tortured and beheaded by Emperor Nero in roughly 67 AD. Approximately. Why would you do that? Why would you subject yourself to that? Unless what the Bible claims is true. And that when you meet this Jesus, he transforms you. And when he gives you the life that is truly life, you are willing to put yourself in situations and environments, yes, where you are even willing to face danger for the sake of other people hearing this gospel. Because there is no other means of experiencing true life. When that reality and that revelation has gripped your heart, you will do anything for the sake of God's kingdom. People don't die for something they know to be a lie. They die for what they know to be true. And what is true? The God that we serve transforms you. 2 Peter chapter 1 says it like this, verse 16. Peter is writing, We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. 
but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Literally, He saw it in person. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. We also had the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets... Through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We didn't follow just cleverly devised stories. This really happened. Paul says the same thing. Jesus showed up. He showed up and he blinded me. I couldn't see. I was the greatest persecutor of the church, but he's changed me and he's made me new. He's done a work in me. I can't even explain it. How does something like this happen except the mercy of God and the grace of God? I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything. God broke into my situation. And it's up to me to respond to it now, to bow my knee in humility to the one true king. And when people wrote the Bible, they weren't doing it in some kind of collaborative way, like you will not believe we're going to really get this story going. Okay, you're in charge of the sequel. You're in charge of the prequel. You, you know what? We're going to, we're going to, oh, you will not believe how this is going to work. 66 books of the Bible written by 40 different authors over thousands of years, and the cohesiveness of the Bible is unmistakable. The message is uh, it, it, it's central. It's the theme of Jesus being exalted and Jesus saving you, Jesus transforming you, Jesus bringing glory to God. It's all about Christ. So, what about you? Has Jesus really transformed you? Has he? Has he made you new? Let's hit pause on that for a second. Because there's a very famous person right now that's in the news, you know, a lot, although it's, it's died down a little bit, in pop culture for having put their faith in Jesus. And again, what happens when we see the Bible delivering on what it says is it raises our confidence and our trust in this. It raises and boosts our confidence in God. When Kanye West, who personified arrogance and self-exaltation, puts his faith in Jesus and is now professing to be a completely changed man and is writing lyrics and giving interviews that sure seem legitimate. And to be really clear, who am I or you to question whether it's legitimate in the first place? 
It's amazing when we as Christians, we have a Bible that says Jesus will transform you. And then when someone famous says, Jesus transformed me, we say, oh, come on. As if the Bible doesn't, God doesn't really do that anymore. Oh, yes, he does. The God that we serve will tear you up from the floor to the top of your head. He will wreck you and rewrite your story. And that's how someone who has a song literally called, I am a God. When they put their faith in Jesus and they profess to be his son. This is his, one of the more recent interviews. Now that I'm in service to Christ, my job is to spread the gospel to let people know what Jesus has done for me. You know, I've spread a lot of things, Kanye says. There was a time when I was letting you know what high fashion had done for me. I was letting you know what the Hennessy had done for me. I was letting you know all these things, but now I'm letting you know what Jesus has done for me. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a son, a son of God. I'm free. That sure sounds like the gospel to me. That sure sounds like the scriptures doing exactly what they say Jesus will do if you will bow your knee and invite him into your heart as Lord and Savior. I put my faith in Jesus at 13. My dad, we were literally driving, I think it was his... 1993 Ford Ranger truck, and it had a little fade stripe on it. I don't know if anybody remembers in the 90s, it was the thing to get a little fade on your, your truck. It, you know, it would just, mm, look nice. I remember riding in my dad's truck, and he looked at me, and he said, Son, are you ready to get real? Are you, re- are you ready to start following Jesus? And the reality is, I, I, I think it, up to that point, I, you know, I'd been raised in a Christian home, so there was, a, there was a measure of already that already happening in my life. But there was something also significant about having a definitive moment where you kind of draw a line in the sand and you say, you know what, yes. Jesus is my Lord and he is my Savior. And he said, you know, are you, are you ready to do this? I said, Yeah. I'm ready. I had my big old glasses on because I was, you know, I was a little bit of a nerd at the time, I won't lie. Sitting in shotgun. And we just drove straight to the church. We called some friends and family, and this is, this is the denomination that I grew up in. You didn't wait for a moment like this. He's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna, to get baptized right now. I said, okay. I was ready, though. And I put my faith in Jesus. I was baptized in that moment. And it wasn't this magical moment where, you know, I fell down or, or the heavens opened and doves were flying into the church and perching on my shoulder. None of that happened. Yet it doesn't change the fact that there was a significant moment where a young boy declared before friends and family and before God Almighty that Jesus Christ was the king of my heart. 
And it doesn't mean that I was perfect. And it doesn't mean that everything was smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that I didn't need discipleship. It doesn't mean that in college I didn't have significant defining moments where God continued the transformative work that he started in me at 13 years of age. But that's why Paul can say with great boldness, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Because yes, God transforms you in a moment and then the rest of your life, he continues to transform you. He continues to shape you. He continues to change you because we serve a God who promises from cover to cover to be the kind of God who changes you and transforms you. Why can I trust the Bible? Because time and time and time and time again, I see a God coming through on his promises. Charles Spurgeon, he he shares a story about a pastor going to a a woman's house who was in need at their church. She was in a, she was, financially, she was, she was in trouble. So the pastor shows up at the house and he knocks on the door. And they had had a special offering and the offering was for the, the woman and Nobody answered the door. Knock, knock, knock. Still no one answered. And so the pastor left. That evening at the evening service, he runs into the woman and he, and he says, you know, so-and-so, I came by your house today. She said, well, what, what time? He said, right around noon. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were the landlord coming to take the rent. That didn't happen. The pastor said, no, I'm actually coming and I'm bringing, I'm bringing gifts to you right now. Sometimes when we talk about the gospel and we talk about Christianity and we speak of transformation, much of us act kind of like the, 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 the poor woman and God is knocking at the door, but we're not quite sure what is going to be asked of us. And so we, we wait or we hide. We're kind of waiting for the, the jury to be out or if you can kind of make some things out through the, through the curtains. I'm not sure who that is. I'm not sure what you're asking. And some of you have grown up in churches where where the call to salvation or the call to transformation felt more like an extraction where something was being asked of you, almost like a, a you know a, a, a snake salesman, the, the 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 slick, the car salesman moment. We're calm and experience salvation, but once you do, you need to do this, 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 and this. What you need to hear this morning is this gospel of transformation, of supernatural change on the inside is not about something being taken from you. It's about everything being given to you. Everything. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. And yes, he will change you. He'll put your finger on, he'll put his finger on things that he once laid down 
at the foot of the cross. And the glorious good news is that while at times it might feel painful, there's such freedom in giving Jesus everything. Titus 2.11, and I'll close with this, says that the grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people. In that very transforming moment, guess what happens even after you experience that transformative moment with Christ? The work isn't done. It teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What does the gospel do? It changes you. It transforms you. You may be in high school or middle school. I want you to hear this. Gospel is for you. Jesus wants to change you at 16 years old, 15 years old wants to change you. Might be in middle school. Jesus wants to change you. You might lose some friends at times because of the change that's radical that happens on the inside of you. That's okay. It's hard. The gospel changes you. It transforms you. Stand to your feet, church. It's also one of the reasons, even before we pray, one of the reasons that it's so important to live a life that reflects God and His character and His presence is because people are watching you and they're watching me. And they're making judgments about this God and this Bible based on the condition of our lives. And when our lives don't add up to what we say God has done in our life, it builds distrust in this God that we declare has made us new. This is one of the reasons why. Yes, out of love for him. Yes, out of glory for him. But also because I want people to see the kind of God that I serve. He's good and gracious. And he makes us new. Father, I thank you this morning that you're a God that changes everything about us. You make us new. You change us. You give us new life or while we were dead in our sins you sent your son Jesus to die for us the ungodly you make us new by when we put our faith in you and this morning this is what we're asking today God, whether we, we've played with religion whether we're, we're just not living the life that we know we're called to live God, we're asking that you would literally continue the transformative work of the gospel in our lives. If you're standing here today and you know that God is convicting you, there's a, there's a shaping, a changing, there's a, there's a conviction in the, in the depths of your heart. 
that you need to give to God to allow the work that he started in you to continue, I want you to pray with me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you are the Lord and King of my heart. I give you my life afresh today. You have everything. You are in complete control. Continue the work of transformation inside of me. Use me, God. Change me, God. If you're standing here this morning and you've never truly put your faith in Jesus, maybe you've attended church, maybe you you grew up going to church, or maybe you just you got an invitation and you're here this morning, and, and you know Jesus has never really sat on the throne of your heart, and you'd like that to be the case today. I want you to raise your hand in your seat and I want you to pray with me. And yes, I'm asking you to raise your hand. I realize that is, that is a, a moment of, of tremendous courage I'm asking you to take today. But step out this morning and put your trust in Jesus. If anyone is here and needs to put their faith in Jesus, raise your hand and pray with me today. Is there anyone? Anyone need to do that? Say, Jesus, right now, I'm truly giving you my heart. God, I've been unsure of where I really stood, but I thank you that you love me and you love me enough to send your son. And this morning, truly, really, Thank you for salvation, making me new. Come into my heart, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and change me.